I invite you at this time to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We'll be considering verses 1 through 11 this evening. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. There's somewhat uh, a well-known statement by the early 20th century journalist H.L. Mencken, and he uh, described or characterized conservative Protestant Christianity at this time as those who fear that someone somewhere might be happy. I think that's probably a pretty good perception of conservative Christianity, even in our own day. Especially so when we think about and talk about issues such as the Sabbath. But I'd like to remind you what we considered last week, where Jesus said that the posture, the attitude, the primary attitude of the Christian is to be one of feasting, not fasting, feasting. Yes, sometimes literally, but always metaphorically. A posture of joy, of the rich benefits that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Jesus wants us to keep that in mind as we now approach these narratives on the Sabbath. So please turn your attention now to Luke chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Please pay careful attention for this is God's holy word. On a Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man who was, was there, whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with a withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he write this word upon our hearts this evening. Well, what comes to mind when you think about the Sabbath? Questions might come to mind, questions related to its meaning, its practical significance in our life, pa uh, past experiences, whether they be negative or positive, may come to mind from our own upbringing or past uh, history in, in various churches. In fact, there's a broad spectrum on, in, in, in the Christian community today on how one views the Sabbath. On the one hand, there are those who think that Christ has fulfilled it in such a way that it's just set aside, has no binding significance upon us. 
And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have those who, who believe it's still binding and we are called to keep it in a way that's very similar to the rigor of the Jews in the Old Testament. It's just that we keep it on Sunday now and not Saturday. And then you have everything in between. And when you consider our, the, our own nation's past history and how the Sabbath played out culturally, we've also been, in terms of the history of our nation, been all over this all over the spectrum. The Sabbath was the cornerstone, a staple in American life and society for, for a long time. In fact, one historian noted that when the West was beginning to be explored, people would refer to west of the Mississippi as life outside of the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath represented civilized, Christianized American life and society. In fact, in the middle part of the 20th century, when the NFL, the National Football League, was having discussions about when to broadcast, what day to have and broadcast their games, the people who were involved in making this decision were very leery about the suggestion of having the NFL be on Sunday because they thought no one's going to watch. This is the Sabbath. And of course, we know how the Sabbath is viewed in, uh, culturally in our own day and age. And so this brings us to that question. How should we view the Sabbath, this controversial and at times convoluted subject and idea? How should we, as those who live in the 21st century, view the Sabbath? Well, Jesus, this evening, answers this very question for us. He transforms our idea, our conception of the Sabbath day. And as you may have assumed at this point, we will be considering both of these Sabbath narratives. Both of these Sabbath narratives. And each one of these narratives, Jesus is teaching us a point, a principle, that build upon one another. So let us first here consider uh, verses 1 through 5, this first Sabbath narrative. As you can see, this, this passage begins with a reference to Jesus walking through the edge of a grain field with his disciples on the Sabbath day. It's a bit unusual. We've grown accustomed to hearing uh, when there's references to Jesus on the Sabbath, he, he's where? He, he's in the synagogue, teaching in the synagogue. That's what we've grown accustomed to hearing. So now we hear that Jesus is going somewhere, we're not told, it's not significant, but he's going somewhere with his disciples and he cuts through the edge of, of a grain field and his disciples are hungry. They're likely hungry from this journey and so they decide to take this midday snack break. They pull off heads of grain, they rub in their hands and they start eating. And almost immediately, the Sabbath police show up, right, the Pharisees. We're in this section in Luke where we have seen these confrontations between the Pharisees and Jesus. The Pharisees are looking for something to have against Jesus, some dirt that they can have to trip him up, to accuse him. And think, ah, we finally have it. He's breaking the moral law of God. He's doing that which is not lawful to do in the Sabbath. They're accusing our Lord Jesus of breaking God's law. Now, it's very easy for us when we read through these Gospels to immediately write off the Pharisees. 
oh, they're just being legalistic. And oftentimes this is the case, but I think it's important that we try to consider their perspective. Where are they coming from? As much as we can, get inside their own head and, and, and their own shoes and, and see why are they objecting to this practice of Jesus and his disciples. And to do so, we need to understand a little bit of, of the Old Testament idea and understanding of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, which finds its expression in the fourth commandment. And put simply, in the Old Testament, among other things, God required his people to keep this Sabbath as a day of rest, extreme rest. So much so that it was forbidden for Israel to pick up manna on the Sabbath day. It was forbidden for the people of God to pick up sticks on the Sabbath day, to light a fire on the Sabbath day. It was a day of rest, complete rest, utter rest. And the Pharisees, what have they devoted their entire life to? The study of God's law, the study of the Torah. And they seek to live in complete conformity to this law as much as they are able. So these Pharisees, they know the ins and outs of the, the details of the Mosaic law regarding the Sabbath. They know it's a day of utter rest. And so they come to Jesus and disciples, and they see his disciples picking heads of grain. Now, if you were the Pharisees, what would you think? Would you be like, wow, okay, at least those are heads of grain because that's categorically different than picking up a stick or picking up manna? I don't think so. I mean, picking up heads of grain wasn't explicitly outlawed, but it, it doesn't seem to be categorically different than some of the other things that God had uh, forbade. So it might not be breaking the letter of the law, but you can maybe see why the Pharisees thought it was breaking the heart of the law. And Jesus' response is quite illuminating. Notice that Jesus, when he responds to the accusation of the Pharisees, he doesn't get into this argument and this discussion about the fine points of the Mosaic law and how picking heads of grain is categorically different than picking up manna because you're expending you know, this amount of energy and to pick up a stick, you're expending this amount of energy. He doesn't do that at all. What does he do? He points to an exception text. He points to this example of David in the Old Testament who was granted an exception to a general law or rule or principle for the sake of his mission. And Jesus is referencing 1 Samuel 21. Now in 1 Samuel 21, David is fleeing for his life. Saul is king and out of envy and, and jealousy, he's seeking to put to death David. And so David's fleeing. He's fleeing from Saul. And he and his men go through the city of Nob. And they need, the intention is not to stay there for very long. They just need food. And they're going to be on their way. But the priest there comes and meets David and says, we have no ordinary bread. We're still in the oven, right? It's not ready. We have no ordinary bread to send on your way, but we do have the bread of the presence, the bread that's in the tabernacle. And so the priest gives to David and his men this bread of the presence, and they eat of it and go on their way. Now, what's significant about this bread of the presence? 
Well, this bread was made by the priest every week. And the priest would make 12 loaves of bread and put this bread on on the table in the tabernacle. And these 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel and God's provision for his people. And then at the end of the week, the priest would eat of this bread in the presence of God in the tabernacle, signifying peaceful relations between God and his people. The priests were representatives of the people, and so this signified peaceful relationship, uh, peaceful relations between God and his people. But what's important to note is that only the priests were allowed to handle, to eat, to take care of this bread. That was God's instruction. Only the priests, ordinary Israelites, they couldn't touch this bread. But in 1 Samuel 21, we see that David and his men, they eat of this forbidden bread. They are granted an exception to eating the bread of the presence. Why? Well, Jesus' argument seems to be saying, because of who David is. This is David, the man after God's own heart, the one who is to be king of Israel, the one to whom God would make a covenant with, an everlasting covenant with the one who foreshadowed our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is oftentimes described as the son of who? The son of David. So David and his mission took priority over this general law and rule. So what's Jesus' point in relation to this this Sabbath narrative here in Luke's gospel. Well, Jesus' point is that if David and his men were granted an exception for the sake of who he is and for the sake of his mission, how much more so should I, Jesus, be granted an exception for my mission? He's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, okay, Pharisees, if we can grant that the Pharisee, that, that David was legitimately granted an exception here in 1 Samuel 21, well, how much more so should my mission and who I am be worthy of an exception? If it's for the sake of my mission. See what Jesus is doing here? He's not, he's not arguing about the, the fine points of the Mosaic Law. He's pointing to These exception texts. And because the the disciples, they were eating grain. Why were they eating grain? Well, they were eating grain as a disciple as they were journeying with Jesus on his mission. So eating these heads of grain was very much tied to the mission of Jesus. It furthered, it promoted that same mission. So what's the principle for us? Well, Jesus here in this passage is giving us a very, very important principle. In fact, probably the most important principle for how we think about the Sabbath. The controlling principle. He's telling us that we are to evaluate our actions on the Sabbath, even how we spend our day on on the Sabbath through the lens of the mission of Jesus. Does it serve, promote further this mission of Jesus? That's his main point here. 
In fact, in verse 5, our Lord said, the Son of Man is Lord, Lord of the Sabbath. This is truly the Lord's day. The Sabbath is the Lord's day. This is Jesus' day. Just as if a, if a friend or family member has a birthday, ordinarily you don't go to them and say, you know what, I really want to do X on your birthday. Let, let's, let's do X. No, you, you go to them and you say, well, what do you want to do on your birthday? This is, this is your day. Well, this, rightfully so, the Sabbath is rightfully so the Lord's day, and therefore his mission takes priority. And that's what Jesus is instructing us. Just as the mission of David was the controlling principle in 1 Samuel 21, especially as it related to the bread of the presence, so too the mission of Jesus here is the controlling principle. That's Jesus' refutation to these Pharisees. Well, they're doing something that's directly connected to my mission. And that's why it's justifiable. Jesus is giving us the, the goal, the end, the, the purpose of, of this day. In ethics, there are various ways to evaluate whether an action is ethical or not. And one, one such way is to consider the, the purpose, the end of an action, or what an action promotes. So to use you know, a trivial example, if you are, although I would imagine no one, none of us do this or think this much about it, but if you're thinking about what to eat for breakfast in a very logical way, and if you think about, okay, what, what goal do I want to have in the eating of my breakfast? Whatever your goal is is going to influence what you eat. If your goal is just pleasure, you want to eat whatever tastes the best, you're probably going to have a pretty good tasting breakfast, but it might not give you the most energy or be the most nutritious or be the best for your general health. But if your goal is energy, nutrition, then you might have to sacrifice a bit on, on taste, but you'll have something that gets you through the day and is good for your general health. Your goal will influence your decision. So here Jesus is giving us the goal, the end for the Sabbath, his mission. And therefore, we are to evaluate our actions, evaluate how we spend our day in light of that goal. Well, the obvious question at this point, then, is, well, what is the mission of Jesus for his day, for his Sabbath? If his Sabbath is all about his mission, then what is his mission? And this is exactly what our next Sabbath narrative teaches us. This next narrative teaches us what the mission of Jesus is for this Sabbath day. So if you look in your Bibles, beginning then in, in verses 6 through 11, we see Jesus is, is teaching on the Sabbath. We don't know how long, how many weeks are in between these two episodes. Luke doesn't tell us. It's just on another Sabbath day. And we see Jesus what he's or doing, what he's ordinarily doing on the Sabbath. He's teaching, instructing in the synagogue, the place of worship for the people of God at that time. We also are informed that there is a man there who has a withered hand. 
what Luke means is he, this, this man has a hand that's of no use. We don't know exactly what happened, but you can't use it anymore. One ancient text commenting on the man in this, this passage uh, says that he may have been a stonemason who had injured his hand, crushed his hand, and was no longer able to work. He had no livelihood. We don't know if that's true. It could be apocryphal. We don't know. But this man had no use of his hand. Think about whether it's your job, whether it's just household normal tasks and duties, how reliant we are upon our hands. This would have been a very, very difficult trial for this man to have a hand that was of no use and possibly uh, a, a situation which cost him his livelihood. So Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath day. There's a man there with this withered hand. And of course, who else is there? The Pharisees. And the Pharisees are there, and, and they're seeing what the, this, this situation. They're like, okay, Jesus is here. He's teaching. Oh, and there's, a, there's this man with a withered hand. We may not have been able to get him in the grain field, but we have him now. You may wonder, well, why? What's the big deal about a man with, with a withered hand? Well, again, G, uh, the Pharisees knew very well that the Sabbath was a day of rest, utter rest, extreme rest. And they went beyond this direct command of God, and they started to develop this tradition. And they said, well, when it comes to healings or medical procedures on the Sabbath, you can only do those things that are absolutely necessary. You can only deal with life-threatening issues. Well, of course, this man with a withered hand, this isn't life-threatening. This isn't absolutely necessary. And if it's not absolutely necessary, the Pharisees said, you are bound to not do it on the Sabbath. You have to wait. You do it on another day. Do it on Monday. Do it on Tuesday. Because you don't want to violate the command to rest. So the Pharisees, they're here and they're seeing this. They're like, we got him. I, they're, they're just, they know the heart of Jesus. And they know that he's going to see this man and be compelled to help this man, to relieve this man of his suffering. Like, we're going to get him. And here we see that the Pharisees are completely off. They're idolizing this, this command to, to, to want to so obey the letter of the law that they miss the heart of the law. They miss the heart of the law, which is to love those around us, especially those who are, who are suffering. And of course, this, Jesus does exactly what the Pharisees, I'm sure, wanted him to do. He sees this man, and he's led to compassion, and he, he heals. He heals this man. But he knows what the Pharisees are thinking. He knows their, their reasoning. He knows their objection. And he, as he's done so often, he appeals to their common sense. We saw this last week, right, with the feasting fasting. What do you do at a wedding? Well, that's something everyone knows. Of course, that's not a time to fast. It's a time to feast, to be joyful. And so here he appeals to common sense. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good to, or to do harm, to save a life or destroy it? Well, it's obvious. Of course, it's to do good. It's to save a life. Jesus is saying, rather than profaning the Sabbath, I'm doing exactly what the Sabbath is intended for, to do good, to heal this man. And that's what he does. 
By the power of his word, he heals this man of this, this suffering that had afflicted him. Well, he began this narrative by saying that Jesus here is pointing us to what, pointing us to what his mission is for the Sabbath. And I believe that this healing represents Christ's mission for his Sabbath day, the Lord's day. Well, how so? There's much more going on in these healings of Jesus than what we see on the surface. We've briefly considered this already in the Gospel of Luke. And the reason is, is yes, when Jesus heals someone, whether it be of leprosy, whether it be with a withered hand, whether it be with sickness or, or something else, unclean spirit or demon, this is doing good, but it's provisional good. Because what's going to happen to you know, the man who, is, who had leprosy and was healed, or this man who, whose hand is healed, what, what's going to happen eventually? Well, these individuals will end up getting some other sickness, disease, or ailment and, and die. It's provisional. It's provisional. So we have to ask ourselves, is there something going on more than what we see on the surface? And yes, these healings of Jesus are, are rich with meaning. These healings point to, they illustrate Jesus' grand mission for coming and that he's bringing the kingdom of God and the new creation in his coming. And this, this new creation begins in this age between the two advents of Christ inwardly, spiritually. As we are cleansed from the leprosy of our hearts, we've been justified, sanctified, born again, that's what these healings represent. They're a picture of what Jesus is doing in his spiritual renewal of our hearts. But these healings also represent the consummation of the new creation at his second coming when we will have an outward renewal that will not be provisional but permanent, the resurrection of the body. And these healings point, these provisional healings point to his lasting healing the redemption of the body. These healings are, are rich with meaning. Rich with meaning. And so we see that the mission of Jesus for the Sabbath is encompassed in these healings. In this age, these healings point to that spiritual renewal that he's working in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So the mission of Jesus on the Sabbath day is spiritual renewal. It's exactly what this day is meant to be about. So the question comes in, how do we experience this spiritual renewal? Most obviously through the word, as we read it, as we hear it, through the sacraments, the visible gospel, with our eyes, and with the gathering of the people of God, fellowship among the saints, the encouragement of one another, the uh, opportunity to use our own gifts to build up the body, to build up the members of, of the church of Christ. And this is exactly what we see the early church doing. Countless examples. On the first day of the week, right, the Christian Sabbath, the people of God gather to hear the apostles' teaching, the word, to break bread, the sacraments, and to encourage one another to experience the fellowship of the saints. This is how the people of God experience that, that spiritual renewal. It's how the Spirit works within us. It's through these means. 
Now, yes, the, the Sabbath is about physical rest. That's quite evident, is evident throughout the Bible. The beginning of the bio, our Bibles begin with this, this statement of God working and resting. If you ask yourself, why, why are those details included? Well, it's because we are made in the image of that God, and therefore we are made as working, resting creatures. This is so natural to us. Our society is built upon this notion. If you think about how our days, weeks, and years are structured, it's structured around a working, resting paradigm. No one works constantly 24-7. We have this, this rhythm of working and rest because we are made in the image of the, of the God who worked and rested. So yes, the Sabbath is a day of physical rest. But here Jesus is telling us that more importantly, the Sabbath is a day of spiritual rest, spiritual renewal for the people of God. In fact, in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew relays these same narratives, both of these narratives of, of the Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12. In the preceding passage, in the end of Matthew 11, Jesus Jesus says this. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And then he goes on to explain these Sabbath narratives. And he wants those, those passages to be read in, in, in connection to one another. The Sabbath is about the rest that Jesus only can provide. This spiritual rest. This spiritual renewal So the goal, the goal of the Sabbath is the mission of Jesus. Right? That's what we saw in that first narrative. And here we see Jesus explicating what the mission of Jesus is all about. Spiritual renewal, which most definitely looks like word and, and sacrament and the fellowship of God's people. And it's this goal that we are to evaluate our own actions, evaluate how we spend this day. Now, of course, after hearing that, there's lots of gray areas when it comes to issues like the Sabbath. Outside of maybe an hour or two of church, how do we spend, how do we spend those minutes and hours of our day? There's gray areas. And Jesus here, nor, nor elsewhere in the Bible, is exhaustive about how we spend this day. But this is how God's law works in general. You know, God's law is, is general enough to apply to all people, there's a level of specificity to it, but it's, it's general enough to, to apply to all people. For example, if you think about the Bible's commands within marriage, husbands are called to love their wives. Wives are called to respect their husbands, right? That's the goal. The law is orientating us to that goal or that end. And if I think about my own life and come up with a dozen, half dozen ways in which I, I seek to reach that goal of loving my wife, practical ways, right? I can't universalize that and say that that's what it looks like for everybody to love their wife because someone in a different circumstance, different life context may have a different set of half a dozen or dozen principles by which they seek to reach the goal of God's command. So we apply that to this passage, we see that Jesus is giving us the great goal of the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. It's a day about his mission. It's a day of spiritual renewal of word and sacrament. And then we have to use our own Christian wisdom to evaluate what that looks like for our own context, our own lives, our own 
particular set of circumstances. And this is, brothers and sisters, how, how Jesus transforms our idea, our conception of, of the Sabbath. He is indeed Lord of this day, and he's calling his people to a life, or a day, I should say, of refreshment and of renewal through his word, his sacraments, and the fellowship of his people.